Welcome to the 6AM Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6AM Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6AMRun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of the 6AM Run Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisant. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. As always, we have a really good guest for you today, and the show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So, um... Yeah, I always like to, to find people who've been through, uh, like I say, podcast-worthy, um, you know, I don't know if I call it transitions, I don't know if I call it changes, progress, we'll call it progress. So, and I don't think I've spoken to um, a Zumba instructor. Uh, yeah, I've never been in a Zumba class, I'll be honest with you right now. Um, I, I am a heavy sweater for people out there, so I don't think anybody needs to see that. But uh, we have Anna Jackson as a part of the show today. Anna, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for our audience? Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's definitely an honor. So first of all, what we need to arrange is for you to attend a Zumba class as soon as possible. Okay. Um, I promise you it is a non-judgmental environment. You'll have a ton of fun. Oh, okay. We'll <laughs> so, see. We'll see. Um, but anyway, so I'm Anna. Uh, people know me as Anna J. Fit in the uh, fitness and weight loss coaching space. And I've been an online weight loss coach for women specifically for almost a decade now. I specialize in helping career moms who need to lose at least 20 pounds and are concerned about reversing underlying chronic health conditions. Um, and just women in general who are struggling to find time to pour back into their own cup and want to take back control over their health. So that's really what I'm passionate about. I am a career mom myself. Um, I have a 14-year-old and a 7-year-old. And so that's really what I'm passionate about. I'm just glad to be here. So, and I love that. that set. First of all, the Zumba class will... We'll talk later about that. We'll see if that's gonna gonna happen. But um, but I appreciate that, and um, you know I, I love the fact that we talk about pouring from cups and and people just having so much to do nowadays. And let's be honest, like post COVID, like there's so many things going on, so many things people are trying to take care of. We have people, you know, they're my age are taking care of their, their parents, taking care of kids, working a job, doing hobbies, working at home, all this stuff. Um, but you said you're a career, uh, parent, career mother, but you have a, a brand new, you have a new teenager. You have a 14 year old. What, what is that like nowadays? Yes. So it's, I'd say it's really challenging. I thought that things would get easier and less demanding on me as she got older, but I'm realizing that that's not the case. So I feel like just more things to worry about as far as what she potentially can get exposed to at school or uh, online as far as social media. Um, and then the other thing is 
she's a lot more involved in extracurricular activities. Like she does marching band. So she has to be at football games every single Friday night. So there, she's in beta clubs, um, a debate club. And then she wants to do a bunch of other things too, but I had to kind of set limits at some point. But um, so it's just, it's just a lot more going on in terms of like activities. And then I have to pour a lot more into her also because things become more challenging for her, including homework, you know, all those things. So it's, it's definitely different than having, um, when I look at the demand with my seven-year-old, I feel like my 14-year-old, she requires a lot more. So it definitely sounds like you have your your hands full. I have um, a, a nine and an eight year old, and the nine year old is about to be ten. So I am I'm just a couple years from the teenage years, and gonna have two girls as teenagers. And as you can tell, I'm really really looking forward to that. But I digress. So um, let's talk. I, there's there's a lot I want to talk to you about, but um, in in your story is is really amazing of what you've overcome and the uh, issues that you've gone through and the work that you've done on yourself. But before we even get into that, we've, we've talked about Zumba. I just want to know, like, what what do people get wrong about Zumba? Like, what, I, I think I know what it is. Like, I hear, I see people smiling, sweating, having fun, having some great music. But what exactly is Zumba? Yes. Um, all right. So Zumba is basically like a cardio aerobic dance format. Um, and it's inspired primarily by Latin style, Latin music, and it's very international, very global. Um, I think that to, to back to the question about what do people get wrong about Zumba? I think that there's a couple of things. So a lot of people have a tendency to think that Zumba is just all fun and it's not a workout. Like that's a total waste of my time. And ironically, I used to say that I used to be that person. Like, I'm not going to the gym to take a Zumba class. I have better things to do. Um, and then the other thing that I get a lot that seems to deter people from trying a Zumba class is, well, I don't know how to master all those Latin moves. I'm not a great dancer or I'm like worried that people are going to be judging me and I'm going to look awkward because I'm not coordinated. So those are kind of the things that I hear most often about Zumba. Um, what I always tell people is just try, just try it out. Just try a Zumba class out so that you can form your own opinion about it. Because for me, my journey was a great um, testimony of the importance to just try things out, especially when you maybe you're not sure or have like a negative image of those things. Because again, I was that person that said Zumba is a waste of time. But when I hit that low point in my life, and I lost all my muscle mass and my endurance and I couldn't handle, I could barely handle living. Well, Zumba was the, the, the thing that when I went back into the gym, I was like, oh, well, on this schedule, Zumba is going to be the most low intensity thing that I can probably somewhat handle at this point in my life. And when I ended up in there, it just changed my perspective on everything. So I, I just always say, try it. And I appreciate that. And, and you mentioned that. I think this is a, a, a great segue um, into your story because um, I, I would say probably since you have a 14-year-old or um, I guess this started, you said after your first pregnancy. So you had like, and let's be honest, like the pressure on women, especially mothers, to like get back into that pre-pregnancy shape is is enormous. Like, let's just put that yes. out there. Let's just put that out there. So that's not my opinion. That's a fact. 
Um, and and you yeah, you wanted to just get back in shape after your first pregnancy. Kind of talk about that part of your life, that point in your life, what that was like, and where that led you to. Yes, absolutely. So, but the background here is um, I grew up being an athlete. So I played basketball. That was my thing. So I was always kind of naturally athletic and I was always active and pretty fit. And I took that very much so for granted. I don't think that my parents, you know, discussed with me like issues that can arise later on in life or when you have children, the weight gain for women and things like that. So I went to, co- I went off to college. Um, I left my parents and slowly the weight started to creep up just because I was no longer at home. Um, probably didn't really have the proper guidance at that point, just kind of went nuts and was living in the dorm and and living a very like kind of unorganized and very different in terms of, yeah, lack of structure basically than what I had at home. And so I ended up, you know, at like one o'clock in the morning at McDonald's. And so slowly these, these habits started to form. They were very unhealthy and nothing that I had experienced growing up. And I stopped playing basketball. I was less active. So at the end of my freshman year, I got pregnant and that was absolutely not part of my plan. That is not what I went. I went off to college for and it like it, it really hit me really hard mentally be- for many reasons. One of them was this is so embarrassing. I'm so ashamed. Oh, my God. Like uh, I got pregnant out of wedlock. I'm walking around this. I'm going to be walking around this college campus with all these other you know, people and I'm going to be here with this big old belly. And so picturing that to me was so embarrassing. The other thing was I come from a family where there's like, there's been a long lineage and and all of my cousins for the most part have had like children at really young ages. So it's been really common in my family to drop out of college, even, even drop out of high school and go and raise kids. And I made that, prom- that promise and a commitment that I was not going to end up like that. Like I really wanted to break that curse. And so it just really hit me hard. On top of that, I was young, uh, inexperienced, uh, didn't have my family or my parents close by. So it was just a whirlwind of things happening to me as I'm finding out that I'm pregnant. So, um, I, so I decided I'm going to have, I'm going to have this child. Like for me, there was no other option. It was in great circumstances and I was definitely not happy about how everything happened. But for me, I was very firm about the fact that I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to have this child. I'm going to be a mom and I'm going to be the best mom that I can possibly be. And also I'm not going to drop out of college. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to, to combine this, the like fresh into motherhood and acing college. Cause I'm not dropping out. And what happened also background here for cultural purposes, I, my family is from Mississippi and I went to the university of Mississippi known as Ole Miss. So I insert the cultural component because in that culture, it is normal when you're pregnant, you just gain weight, just sit somewhere, relax, you're eating for two. And so these are the things that I kept hearing as I was progressing through my pregnancy. And it was just the encouragement of, well, you're eating for two, just eat more. The baby needs to eat. You want to make sure that your baby's going to be healthy. And I mean, I didn't know, (laughs) I didn't know another way. I didn't know any better. And my mom wasn't there. So I was just kind of just going with what I was hearing and what I was learning as I'm going through the experience, not well supported to say the least. And so from this pregnancy, I gained 65 pounds. So I literally never really had a weight problem 
was always pretty healthy, fit and active. And then all of a sudden, very sedentary, just ate nothing but junk and thought that that was what I was supposed to do, that I was, I was expected to do that. And then now I'm like in the 200s. And so I had my, I had my daughter, um, healthy baby, et cetera. She's now 14. And I just was faced with my new reality. So I'm in college, I'm broke. I refuse to drop out. This is what I need to do, but I also need to raise a child. I don't know anything about motherhood. And then looking in the mirror and the shock of, oh my God, what happened to my body? These rolls everywhere. Like the way that I gained weight, it was from my face uh, is like I just blew up my face all the way down to like my calf muscles. And I was just, in my opinion, I was just huge. So everything I saw when I looked in the mirror was, oh, I can't stand it. It's disgusting. I just, I just can't live like that. I feel miserable. And now you pair that with postpartum depression. I went through really traumatic postpartum depression but not having the support, not being educated, not having the knowledge and not having really, uh, really a great doctor either who talked to me about these things. I didn't know the signs. I didn't recognize that I was going through something mentally and that I needed help. So the postpartum depression kicked in and the disgust when I looked in the mirror to the point where I ended up covering my, I covered my mirrors eventually because I said, I, I, I can't stand to see my reflection in the mirror, the stretch marks, the, the, the loose hanging skin, the rolls everywhere. Like I just did not recognize who I was or who I became and I wasn't happy with it. So to the point that you made, I think that there's definitely like huge pressure from the outside to, Hey, you're supposed to bounce back, right? You're supposed to get right back into it. But for me, I didn't experience the, that type of pressure on the outside. The pressure I experienced it within. It was, you've got to get it together. You have to find a way to get back active. You have to shed this weight. Like, this is not okay. You let yourself go. And I just felt unattractive. I was, and so, yeah, I felt unattractive, um, you know, avoiding intimacy, avoiding looking at myself. And then it just became my new norm to run around in baggy, loose clothes. Um, I shoved all of my really cute outfits that were much smaller, obviously, way to the back of my, my walk-in closet. And I was like, I'm going to hold on to them because one day I have to get back into them. That was pretty clear, but I just had no idea how to get there. So that's really where my battle started. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off here, but I do want to ask you a specific question about this time in your life, because you've been, you've been talking a lot about how you felt and, and basically how this internal pressure, wh what kind of support system did you have at this time? Were there people around you that, that saw this and, and wanted to help, or did you do a good job of masking all these feelings? That is such a good question. Um, so my partner, so my, my daughter's father, he knew very well. He was very much aware of the fact that I did not feel comfortable, didn't feel desirable. And I was really struggling mentally, but I feel like he just, he just did not know how to help me aside from, you know, love me through the process. For him, it was clear. I love you regardless um, of what size you are. And, you know, you're, you're still the same to me. Right. And that was helpful uh, versus feeling rejected by, you know, the person that I'm building a life with, that would have been really horrible. Um, 
And then the friends, I had some close friends and they were very supportive. But honestly, my closest friends, they were all overweight. So they probably didn't see that much of a problem with the situation I was in. And I couldn't really tell them how miserable and how horrible I felt because then I I felt like it kind of would have been maybe making them feel bad about their size. And I certainly did not want to do that. Um, so no, I was really isolated. And for the, and for the, the rest of that, it was just me masking it. Like I just continued to go to my classes, keep a smile on my face and just keep it moving. But at home I was just falling apart, but most people did not know that. You you know what the, I, I think what people get wrong sometimes about empathy is that what you just said, I, I think people need to go back and, and actually listen to that answer because you recognize that the people around you were, may not have been healthy people at that time. They were, you know, overweight. You kind of, you, you mentioned that, but the fact that you didn't want to bring this up because fear of hurting someone else's feelings or fear of being mean, like, I think empathy is a good thing, but also it can hinder us from saying the things we need to say sometimes when we're overly empathetic, um, which I think says a lot about you. It says a lot about your character. So, I mean, even through all this, like you're going through these internal difficulties, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, like you understand that the person that you're romantically involved with doesn't quite understand, but is there to love you through it. And the friends that you have, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. It's like, that is a, that's a recipe to really, to really break somebody down. And so through all this, you get to a point where, and please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you get to a point where it's even hard for you to get out of bed, hard for you to leave your house. Like, talk about what you went through before, and you talked about the Zumba class, before you found that outlet. What was, I mean, what were your days like? Yeah, yeah. Um, so so basically, the... Um, it, it was really hard on a day-to-day basis living in this, this mind of mine and this body of mine. And a lot of what developed over time, which I recognized, you know, later on was the negative internal dialogue. So it was, I'm not good enough. Um, I'm never going to be small again. I'm never going to be attractive again. I'm never going to be happy again. Right. And so this dialogue just kept festering and it was just these negative thoughts about myself. I was just bashing myself 24 seven, literally. Um, and what that eventually caused paired with the fact that I was already going through postpartum depression, but it was unrecognized, undiagnosed, and I wasn't getting the help that I needed. Um, eventually that turned into like a really severe, brutal, uh, episode of clinical depression. And so literally, literally overnight, I went from, you know, being, being like a fully functioning person. I, I went to work, I raised my daughter, I did the things that I needed to do, to all of a sudden I collapsed, which turned out to be a massive, massive anxiety uh, panic um, panic attack. And from that day on, I ended up bedridden for approximately the, ni- the next nine months. And so the only time that I left my house during that, that period of time was literally to go to the emergency room. That's it. So... Overnight, I lost my I lost my job. Um, I was laying in bed and I was just filled with anxiety twenty four seven. It was just my heart was racing. I could hardly breathe. It's like an elephant was constantly sitting on my chest. Um, I I was too weak. All of a sudden, too weak to get out of bed. 
And I didn't understand it because I was healthy. I didn't have any underlying health issues, but I literally could not get out of bed. I was dizzy um, really the majority of the day. So I would try to get up and then the, the room would be spinning or I feel lightheaded. Uh, I, I lost the, the desire to be around people. I really dra- dramatically isolated. I stopped answering my phone. My parents are like my parent, my favorite people ever. And when, when my parents would call, I would just avoid the calls. I would look at text messages and not respond. I loved going to church at the time. I stopped going to church. So all the things that, that, that I took pleasure in, all of a sudden, I just looked at him like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to see those people. I don't want to talk to them. And I don't want to do anything. And so I was just in bed. I slept an average of 16 hours per day. And nighttime was the worst because I would have very vivid and scary nightmares every single night. And then I stopped also eating. That's the other thing that I lost a desire for, a taste for. I didn't have an appetite anymore. Food just kind of grossed me out. So literally that's how I spend the, these next nine months of, of my life. And I went to the emergency room really just when it got to, to the point where, because I was desperate for answers basically, and I just couldn't get answers. So I'd go to the doctor and they would do blood work and they'll say, Hey, I mean, you're young, you're healthy. Like we're not seeing anything wrong here, but I would keep describing those physical symptoms, huge emphasis on physical symptoms, because I keep saying, I don't have an appetite. I'm losing weight like crazy. I'm sleeping all the time. I'm very weak. I'm dizzy. Um, My body hurts. I had aches and pains. But so obviously because I delivered it in that way, the doctors were, you know, just doing what a doctor does. So they're looking at the symptoms that I'm presenting them with. But the mental piece, and I'll get to that in a second, but it got so bad not getting answers and just feeling like I was crumbling within and I was just not a productive citizen anymore. I couldn't work. I felt like I could hardly take care of my daughter. Um, at the time, my, my daughter's father and I, we had gotten married. So we were married then. And um, I felt like it was starting to really weigh on my marriage as well. And he obviously did not understand what was going on with me. And it got worse where I would just, you'd say, yes, I cry. You said, no, I cry. Everything just made me cry. And I started to, to, to come up with my exit strategy. I, t- I started to think more and more about committing suicide because living just the idea that, hey, no one can figure out what's wrong with me and I'm just laying here. I mean, I'm, I, I might as well just not continue living because I feel like now I'm starting to become a burden to my child. I'm starting to become a, a burden to my husband. I have nothing to contribute. I'm not giving y'all anything. I'm just laying here. And that's probably not a great example for my daughter. I was thinking about that too. So I kind of started to have those suicidal ideations. And it wasn't necessarily because I didn't want to live per se, or I didn't want to be there for them. But it was, if this is the version of Anna that that I'm going to be stuck with, then I don't, I don't, I can't do that. Like I can't continue living like that. And so for me, it got stronger with, um, with coming up with strategies and, and seriously, for lack of better words, but for, I, I just kept getting more creative with, you know, when am I going to do this? How am I going to do it? You know, I just, I just have to get out of here because this, nothing is helping. And so then around that time, I had a really vivid nightmare where something, where my daughter was in danger. My daughter was about to be harmed. It was something along those lines. I don't remember the details. And when I woke up from that nightmare, it was crystal clear to me. You're, you've got two options. You either continue to seek help, but I mean like 
relentless. Like you're about to become relentless about seeking help and finding a way out so that you can get back to living, get back to being Anna. You know, if you don't do that and you go and commit suicide and follow through with this plan, you will not be there to protect your daughter if something was to happen to her. And kind of being faced with that absolute reality for me was like, okay, it's a no brainer. Like I have to go put me in a psych unit or something, because at this point, I think that I'm becoming a danger to myself and I need somebody else to step in and intervene because I've really just lost it. And that's what I did. I, I went to the, um, the emergency room and I told them, do not send me back home. If you send me back home, I will hurt myself. I'm not a danger to anybody else, but I cannot continue living like this. And this is what's going on. And then they kind of pieced it together at that point. Um, based on looking at my records and all the visits that I had prior. So we then pieced together all the physical symptoms with the mental breakdown. And so, oh, okay, well, these are all the classic symptoms of like a really severe episode of depression. Um, and so even though nothing changed at that point, I felt a huge sense of relief. And like there's light at the end of the tunnel, there's hope because somebody put a name on what on earth is wrong with me. I hope that that makes sense <laughs> to anyone listening, but I, I don't think you, yeah, I don't think you understand like how much sense that makes because, um, I, I, I know that feeling. I know that feeling of going through this phase of your life, going through these motions and every day wondering like, why do I feel like this? Like, why me? Like what's going on? Like, I don't want to feel like this and you're doing everything to tell yourself no, I, like I'm, I'm not depressed. I'm not going like, this is not it. And then someone says, no, Anna, like this is, this is what you're going through. Cause it kind of gives you and, and I'll let you continue. Sure. It kind of gives you a starting, starting place, a starting yeah. block. It kind of gives you a place where I can say, okay, I have this, let me move forward. Yes. Um, but that's very profound. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> that was exactly how I felt because I, I received that diagnosis and then I thought, okay, so now I've got something to work with here. Like I know what this is. So now, because I don't have a known history, um, and these are not things that we talked about in my family either. So there's really no background. Let me go educate myself. Let me go do some research. Let me pull from all the tools and the clinicians, the professionals that are out here in my community and figure something out, come up with some type of, some type of game plan. And that's how it's my healing and my recovery journey started because, you know, I started with, with that as the beginning in terms of help. So, you know, they started, they put me on antidepressants. That was step one. And I know that a lot of people have, you know, anxiety about antidepressants or, you know, question it. But in my particular situation, I had hit absolute rock bottom. There is no lower place at this point. So for me, when the doctor said, listen, I highly recommend we start off with, you know, this antidepressant regimen. We can take you off or taper you off eventually. This is not like a lifelong situation per se. But for now, at least to help you regain an appetite and things like that. And I was so welcoming. I was just so receptive for the first time in my life, actually. So looking back, I'm grateful that this happened to me because I was not the type of person to ask for help. I was not the type of person to open up. Um, and I was always the, I got this, I got this, I'm good. So here I am. No, I don't have, I don't got anything. <laughs> so go ahead, throw the medications at me, you know? And I started taking the medications. My husband actually at the time 
was not supportive whatsoever of medications and said, no, that's, that's a bad idea. I've heard so many bad things. People commit suicide when they take them. I'm like, uh, no, at this point, I already wanted to commit suicide. So I'd rather take the medications and put and move forward, you know, with, with the recovery. And so I'm grateful that I took the medications and listened to my doctor because within the first literally 21 days to the day, I remember that vividly, my appetite returned. And it was, it was just like a brand new experience. All of a sudden I'm smelling food and I'm like, oh, would, it smells good. Like I want that. Okay. So my appetite was returning. And that started to really give me hope too, because now it's like that, you know, you, you know how you're clinging to like, give me one sign, one piece of evidence that something is working, that we're moving in the oh, right direction. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. Wow. 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 That, oh, I, my hair, that hair just stood up on the back of my neck because that is, and let, let me, let me say this. I, this is why I love doing this show, uh, 6 a.m. run show. And I love doing my other show, Relatively Normal on Mental Health, um, because physical and mental are so intertwined. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how, you know, people say, oh, I, I was I was sad. I didn't feel like eating or the opposite. I was sad. I felt like eat. like they're so intertwined. And I, I want people because we're going to talk about your your recovery and in, and in, in how you're now helping people. And I mention it all the time on this show. I love when people go through something in their life, get through it and then decide I want to help others with the same thing. That's that's your story, but I I, I want to note a couple things for people to really latch on to because there's a, there's a few things that are kind of intertwined in this in this story. Is that one we have, you know, generational traumas that are they don't have to be on purpose. They don't have to be things that are done. But you've talked about kind of what was expected out of you as a young mother and what had happened in the past with your family and and regional trauma too uh, in, in your area that you were were living in that that what people expected out of you and and you bucked that system and you were like no this is expected out of me all you want I, I'm going to expect more and the, the 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 biggest part of this I think people need to hear there is so much I don't want to call it information or misinformation nowadays where you will get so many people who say you don't need any Eastern medicine, I'm going to show you a way where you don't need this pill or you don't need these drugs. Or you don't need this prescription. And it's a blanket statement like everyone's journey is not unique. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm a doctor and I'm a therapist and I know what people want. But I tell you this, I know what I need. I know what I want. And I don't need someone telling me that you don't need this. Like you, you, you can handle it a different way. Cause I love the fact that you said I was on this medication. I was antidepressants. I wanted to try it because I was at rock bottom and lo and behold, you know, 21 days, you're getting feelings back about the food that you can eat, about the, the feelings that you can have things like that. So from that moment on, kind of talk about how you make that turn and how you begin your recovery and how you start helping others. Yes, absolutely. So from that point on, when I started seeing, you know, signs of improvement, that for me really fueled my commitment. 
Like I'm, I'm really going to go all in because there's obviously hope here and that's what I needed. And so what I started doing then I mentioned earlier, like I realized I need to educate myself if I really want to thrive um, in this, you know, I want to thrive and get out of this current state and get healthy again. So I ordered a bunch of self-help books um, that a lot of clinicians have, you know, uh, written psychiatrists about depression. One was the depression cure. And I was just reading and reading and reading and educating myself. And I just wanted to understand based on these professionals and their experience, what are what are the components? What are the things I need to incorporate into my day-to-day life that are going to help me thrive again? Because, you know, I want to go back out there. I want to work. I want to have a life. And so one of the themes that connected everywhere in every piece, every book, every piece of literature, anything that I read was the importance of physical movement, physical activity, moving the body. And for me, I read it so much. I heard it so much. I was like, okay, I get it. Like I get the message here. Obviously I need to find a way to move again and be active. I was still dealing with the daily, the dizziness, the lightheadedness, um, the weakness. I obviously had lost a lot of my strength and muscle mass and endurance because I just laid in bed for so long, lost a lot of weight in the unhealthy way. Cause I stopped eating, but I, I kept thinking, I just have to start somewhere. If I just start somewhere, it doesn't matter if I'm only doing two squats. Cool. Well, now I'm starting with two squats. We'll see what I do next week. And that was the mindset I started to develop. Clearly now I decided, all right, so basically thriving with depression, my healing recovery journey is going to be like a puzzle. The medication, that was one piece of the puzzle. Boom. I put that in there. Then there's other pieces. Okay. I need to, I need to nourish my body again, but I don't need to just be eating McDonald's and Taco Bell. That's actually not going to help me whatsoever. It's going to make issues worse. So I started to educate myself on the importance in terms of nutritional choices. So I said, okay, so nutrition is my healer too. That's another piece of this puzzle. Let's put it together. And then all these other elements. And one of them was obviously uh, movement, physical activity. So I said, okay, I got to add this piece into this puzzle because I have have to have all the pieces because Anna needs to get right. And so what I determined then was, let me work with what I have right here. I am, I am sickly. I'm not feeling good. I'm scared of people. I haven't been in a, in a social setting aside from the hospital in so long. Just the idea I'm having a panic attack. So what I decided to do was one step at a time. That became, that became literally my model, what I live by. Every single day, just do something. Doesn't matter how small it is. But every time you do it, you're going to celebrate your win. You're going to pat yourself on the back. You're going to high five yourself. And if you remember that from the beginning of my story, I was bashing myself all day, every day. It's not until now at this point in my story that I realized, oh, positive positive self-talk, internal dialogue. It needs to be uplifting and positive. I need to counter my negative thoughts about myself if I want to heal. And so I incorporated that with the fitness component. I understood, oh, I need to become my own cheerleader. That's what's going to help me heal and and thrive again. And so, you know, uh, two two minutes of walking outside of my house at the very beginning, that was very taxing for me and really more so from like an anxiety scared standpoint because I just didn't leave the house. But then two minutes turned into five and then five into 10 into 15 into 20. And then I said, okay. Let me take this to the next step. I haven't driven in a year now. So this is going to be foreign and it's going to be scary, but let me go reacquaint myself with my car. 
my car had been sitting in the driveway just waiting for me to come back to it one day. And so I got back in the car. And I mean, people might think that this is odd, but I sat in my car. I remember it was a silver Kia leather seats, cute little car. And so I just rubbed the seats for a little bit. I talked to my car. I said, hey, I'm back. Um, I'm going to take it easy one step at a time, but I'm here. So then the next day I got back into my car and I said, okay, I'm going to crank it up. You know, get back acquainted to the sounds of my vehicle. The day after that, I said, okay, now I'm going to drive around my neighborhood and just see how that goes. And so every single day, it was just take one little tiny step, step further. That's all you need to do. And so I understood then it's about me being the biggest cheerleader ever, being my own best friend, and also having just realistic, reasonable, gentle expectations for myself for once in my life. <laughs> that was a game changer. And so eventually, after all these tiny mini steps, I ended up back in the um, driving all the way into the city to the parking lot of Gold's Gym at the time, because that's I still had a membership because my husband was going there and we had like a family plan, obviously unused as far as I'm concerned. So I went into the parking lot. I looked at Gold's. I said, OK, wow, you made it all the way out here. You go, girl. All right. Tomorrow we're coming back. And we're going to take a walk inside of Gold's, get back in the car, no pressure, go home. That's exactly what I did the next day. And eventually I got on the treadmill, anxiety ridden, scared as can be. I'm sure nobody knew that on the outside, but I was just happy that I made it there. Got on the treadmill, five minutes on the treadmill, turned into six, seven, eight, nine. Every single day I just walked a little bit longer, a little bit further. And eventually my endurance got slightly better. I felt like I was feeling a little bit more alive every single day. And that also helped me boost my confidence, right? Very gradually, very slowly, but at least I saw improvements. So I became a little bit more comfortable and a little more confident. Eventually, I said, okay, I need to take it a step further. What's going to be a step further? And I looked at, I happened to look at the, the group fitness um, schedule, like the classes, and I thought, all right, this is going to be a real challenge because now I'm going to have to be like in a room with a bunch of people and, and I'm going to look crazy. They're going to look at me and I don't know what to do. And I'm so frail and, and anxiety ridden and still depressed. But I kept saying, no, you got this. You, you just go in there before they all walk in, in the back row, go hide in the corner and just do five minutes of the class, run out if it's too much. And so I picked Zumba. And that's the irony in my entire story, because literally years prior, I cracked jokes about people that took a Zumba class. And I literally would say, like, I don't understand, because what are y'all doing in that class? It's, it's, that's not exercise. <laughs> so, um, I saw, so I saw on this list, you know, Zumba, because I saw body pump, body combat, boot camp, and all these other classes. And I said, you know, I have to be honest with myself. That's not, I'm not, that's not my fitness level. I can't handle that right now. So what is going to be the least intense on this thing that I can give, I can give this a shot. I can give it a try. And it ended up being Zumba. And so I made the commitment. All right. So tomorrow she's teaching at 6 p.m. Cool. Tomorrow at 5.50, I'm going to be in the studio. I'm going to be hugging the back wall. They're not even going to notice that I'm here. Nothing. And I had to just keep talking myself through it. They, uh, she came in there, the instructor, then the students came in there and it was a large studio, about like 30, 40 people. It's obviously pre-COVID. Um, and she started the music and instantly I thought, wait a second, I might be onto something here. 
it was just infectious, like in all the most positive ways. It just, for the first time in forever, I felt like somebody had like just turned like the on button back on basically. Like I had been living in, in off mode and I thought, that's it. I'm hooked. Say less. I've only been in here for like three minutes, but that's it. This is it. And so I stayed only maybe five, six minutes because anxiety wise, it was still rough for me to, to handle all of that. And it was still very new. And I left, came back every single week. Eventually, um, I had figured out her entire routines, her choreography. I knew her playlist. I would go home and do, do the routines at home, which then became my therapy at home outside of the gym. And that was so important. And so... One day, she how, how was long, late. How long did it take you to how? How long did I? I mean, cut you out. How long did it take you to move from the back of the room to the front of the room, or closer to the front of the room? I should ask. Yeah, um, a solid six months. That, oh wow! Oh wow! Oh wow! Okay, you were anxiety ridden in that class. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Right, but I mean, that that. But yes. you did it. But you did it. Let's be. Let's put it out there. But you did it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The, the anxiety, it was, it was hard. It was rough. Um, but, and at the same time I was focusing on trying to get my endurance up so that I could stay in that class longer. So it was, it was just a couple of things that I was trying to navigate over time. But like I said, five minutes turned into 10 into 15 into 20. Eventually I lasted the whole class. And then you could tell that I was becoming more confident because I was working my way up to the front, like one row at a time month to month, basically. And so eventually I ended up super confident knowing all the, the steps, know all her music, love it. And now I'm in the front row. And that day she happened to be late. She was never late. And so we're all waiting, uh, wondering, is Shay coming? That's weird. Shay's never late. So everyone's kind of panicking. And then several people come up to me and they ask, um, are you, are you, are you subbing today? Are you the instructor that's going to cover for Shay? And I thought, what? Like, I must look like somebody else. Like, they're, they're, they're thinking I'm someone else. Because why would anyone ask me, Anna, to teach a Zumba class or, or assume that I'm the sub? And for me, on that journey, those are the things where I recognized that God was basically speaking to me and sending people as messengers, like planting seeds. Because I would have never considered teaching a Zumba class ever in my life. But that's how it started. Because people saw something in me where I gave off a certain energy. Plus, they felt like, oh, she got the moves. She, she knows all the moves. She moves really well. Um, she loves it. Oh, my God, look at her facial expressions, right? And then, but they were planting seeds in my head. And um, I only recognized that and really learned that later on in life, obviously, looking back. But I became friends with a lady who was taking that class as well. And it was one of her dreams and goals to become a Zumba instructor. She was going through depression too, interestingly enough, and going through a pretty hard divorce and becoming a single mom of two kids. So here we, are, we were, we found each other in time of crisis, and she really wanted to become a Zumba instructor. But she was too scared and intimidated to go to the training by herself, so she kept trying to convince me to go. But I didn't want to go. <laughs> I didn't want to go. I had no intentions. I said, I do not want to become a Zoom instructor. That is not my calling. That is not where I want to go with this. Um, I'm just trying to heal and thrive here. And she ended up paying for me to go to the training. She said, you don't have to become an instructor, but just take the training so that I don't have to go by myself. I already paid for you. And as a good friend, obviously, I wasn't going to let her down. So I said, OK, let's go. 
And so we went together and then we came back to, you know, so I'm, I live in Augusta. So we went to Atlanta. So that's two hours away. We came back to Augusta and literally the following week, one of the local gyms called me and the lady left me a voicemail and she said, we're looking for Zumba instructors. We just got a new spot that opened up. We got word that you are a newly certified Zumba instructor and I wanted to call you in for an audition. And that's basically how all of that started. That this was, I, I, I don't hate to say it, this was meant to be. This was, this was your, um, you know, for, it's, it's amazing that, and when you said I, I, that you had feelings about people who took Zumba, like I, I wanted to be like, yeah, I, I did too. Like I, I had the same, <laughs> I, I, I heard the classes, I looked at it, I'm like, man, uh, it just seems like a, a party going on in there, nothing else. But, um, but you know, they're, you know, the people I've talked to about it, like swear by it. They, they love it. It's fun. It's energetic. It gets their blood moving. It gets, it's, you burn a lot of calories and you know, now I think about it, you can't, it's, it's really hard to leave a Zumba class, like not enjoying yourself. Like you can't really leave that class in a bad mood. Um, and that's the good thing. And, and, you know, all the good coaches out there, uh, you know, like yourself, they, you know, it's hard work, but you don't want somebody to be like, sad or depressed or, or not enjoy the time. Like I, the, the trainers that I've had, yeah, they've pushed me, but at the same time, I've come back. Like I've gone back to them because like, I, I know now in my life, like I'm not going to go back to something that does not bring me joy. Um, and joy does not have to be, you're always happy or you're always smile. That's not the joy I'm talking about. The joy is in the actual progress. The joy is in the journey. The joy that that's the joy I'm talking about. So first of all, let me say this. Um, what an amazing story. I think that what you have discussed today is, is amazing how you have transformed your life from, you know, where, let's, let's be honest, you, you, you said it yourself, you hit rock bottom, you hit rock bottom. You're at a place that you, from your, from your negative self-talk, you thought you'd never leave it. You thought you'd never improve. You thought you'd never get out of this funk. And you, along with your doctor, made made the changes that you needed to make. Now, what I want to ask you about specifically before I let you go, because there's something that you said throughout this whole thing, which, uh, well, let's be honest, a lot of things hit me hard. But one of the phrases you said was, be your own best friend. And I think that people, not I think, I know, I know. And the reason I say that is because, like, so many things have, have hit me because I have an entire, like, show dedicated to that. But one of the things that people really, I don't want to say get wrong, but may not understand is how that connects to the cup overflowing because we want to be everyone else's friend. We want to give people the shirts off our back, the last dollar out of our wallet. We want to be there constantly for that other person. But when it comes to ourselves, we won't do the same thing. We won't take time out of our day just to be introspective, just to think about our day, just to think about what do I need. 
for the women out there listening, because I think this everybody can get from something from this, but I want you to speak to a, you know a lot of the women out there who might be first time mothers, who might be struggling, who might feel that they're not good enough, who might be overweight and not know how to start a fitness journey, who might see people at the gym and say, I don't want to go through that. I have too much anxiety. To all the women out there going through that, what is something you can tell them about just believing in themselves, about being their own friend, about that positive self-talk? What is something you can tell them right now just to get them started on that journey? Um, I think that the biggest the biggest piece here that and that also was valuable for me and what I teach a lot of my clients is to, to change our perspective around what happens a lot of times, especially for new moms, is the mommy guilt. So if I want to work on my body, that makes me a bad mom because it takes my time away from, from my kids. It takes my time away from my family or it just makes it seem like I'm vain because I'm focusing on things that I shouldn't be focusing on as, as a mom, right? And so I think that the biggest uh, change that we have to make here is our perspective. And from that, everything else will flow naturally. It's understanding that self-care is not selfish whatsoever. It's actually selfless. And that's what I learned through my entire story and experience here is that the more I worked on myself, the better I became in terms of a mom. Like I have more tools to give my, my kids now because I took the time to pour back into my own cup and still do it every single day. For me, it's, a, it, it's really that, that, that principle in itself. I wasn't taught that. I didn't learn that. And so that's why I make it my mission to teach women that now you are not selfish for wanting to live in a better body or a healthier body or a fitter body, whatever that looks like for you specifically, because we all have to have our own image uh, and vision, right? That doesn't make any of the women out here, the moms out here selfish. It, these are natural desires, right? And they're in us for a reason. And we deserve to have that quality of life. We deserve to live in bodies that we feel comfortable in. And so when we pursue those goals and we take the time out every single day, even if it's just five minutes to meditate, right? We can look at it from the standpoint of, I'm not just doing it for me. I'm really doing it for my kids. Because when I come out of this meditation, I'm going to be a much better version of me for their sake. And so it's looking at it as, yes, I'm going to take a little bit of time. I'm going to take a little bit of money. I'm going to take up a little bit more space to pour back into my own cup. But I'm not taking away from their cups, right? It's just enabling me to give even more to them when I come out of that. Whether it is I leave for an hour and I go to the gym. That doesn't make any of us bad moms. It makes us a mom who understands, hey, that's going to be my stress relief so that I don't, don't go yelling at my kids unnecessarily. That's going to be me working on making sure that I maintain healthy blood pressure, right? And it's going to be me setting a better example for my children too because then they're going to grow up valuing those things because I showed them, hey, mommy is going to take time out to do X, Y, Z because automatically it, tr it translates to them as, oh, that must be important, Right? I think that's the biggest piece of advice across the board. It's really understanding the value behind self-care, not just for us individually, but for the type of gift, the type of gift that it is for the people who need us, our children and spouses, partners, parent, the elderly parents that we're taking care of, right? 
Um, so to remember that self-care is not selfish whatsoever. It is selfless. It's a gift that we're given ourselves, but at the same time, everyone around us is benefiting from us doing that. And I, I hold on to that so much because I'm a single mom raising two kids. And so I found it even sometimes for myself, it's important for me to remind myself, oh, no, no, no. I'm taking these 10 minutes right here and I'm going into my, my prayer closet and mommy's going to go meditate and journal. Do not bother me. And I come out of that knowing I did the right thing for me, but I really did the right thing for my kids too. There, thank you so much for that answer because I, I cannot stress it enough how, how people can just go down these these dark deep holes where they're just giving so much yep. of themselves and they yep. think that's all that they, they, they think that's all that's needed of them they i like i'm i'm yep. a i'm a mother that's what i am that's what i do i give to my kids 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 i'm a wife that's what i do i give to my husband like and it's like wait a second like wait a second i figured out a couple years ago as a as a father husband friend co-worker whatever that if i wasn't the best version of myself i couldn't be the best version of any of those other things and uh you know thank you so much you know for all the the mothers out there listening for all the wives for all the 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 the, the women who put the pressure on themselves to be just that perfect mom to be that perfect like perfection doesn't exist take care of yourself take care of yourself just like anna said so if they want to learn more about you if they want to get more information about what you offer where can people find you online yes um thank you so much for asking so you can find me on facebook on tiktok on instagram i'm active on all three platforms um love to connect and uh you just search anna j fit so that's a n n a j a e f i t so on all three platforms Anna, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I really think that you and I could t talk for another hour, to be honest with you, because this has been just amazing. Uh, let me be definitely probably not the first to say this, but I, I want to be a person that tells you that um, you're you're just doing amazing work. I appreciate not only the work you do, but the vulnerability that you've shown today, because there's someone going through what you're going through or what you have gone through right now that might be listening to this, who is just looking for that one signal, that one sign that says they're good enough, they're worthy, they can do it. Um, don't let their anxiety like represent everything about them. Take the chance, just like Anna did. And go into that Zumba class, go into that body fit class, walk in, walk, like she talked about getting in her car was such a big thing. She talked about walking into walking in the gym was such a big thing. And then she talked about how she celebrated those things. So we can we can all do that. So great job on your part. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. You take care of yourself and have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6AM Run Podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, 
we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AMRun to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.